Welcome to the Grace City Tampa podcast. My name is Alex Damari. Me and my wife, Brianna, are the lead pastors. Our vision is to lead people into a life-transforming relationship with Jesus Christ. We pray that today's podcast will build you up, lift your faith, and encourage you in the journey. Here's the message. We are at the finale, the ending of our eight-week sermon series, the longest sermon series I've ever preached. Blessed are those. It's been an amazing eight weeks. I tell you what, I think I've grown more from studying these these scriptures and understanding what they fully mean and trying to be a specialist of those every week to tell you what they're about. I've grown more in the last eight weeks than I think I have in a long time. And I'm excited and expectant about this last week. I think it's a powerful one and it's a great finale to all the blessed of those series. So you're ready for the word today? Come on. Matthew 5. 1 through 12, the last time we're going to read the Beatitudes for probably 20 years. (laughs) Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him. He began to teach them. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. And then I've grouped together the last two, eight and nine, into this. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward. Everyone say reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. The title of my message today is Blessed Are the Persecuted. Such an encouraging title. Blessed are the persecuted. Let's pray one last time before I try to unwrap this last beatitude. Lord, we thank you for the blessing you offer. We thank you for the power of the beatitudes, that you've opened up the door to us to live in this supreme blessedness. So Lord, I pray that every word that's been spoken over the last eight weeks and everything that's spoken today would settle in our hearts, that we would take up the challenge and that we would walk in the promise. Lord, I pray today that your word would fall on good soil, that hearts would be open, minds would be open to receive all that you want to say and do. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. Blessed are the persecuted. I didn't want to preach this one. I didn't even want to start. I opened up the Bible and I'm like, this is a tough one to talk for 30 minutes about. And I can honestly say that I've never really spent a whole lot of time talking even in one-on-one situations about persecution, let alone preaching an entire message about persecution. You know, it's not even a word that we use very often in our culture. It's not super common in the United States for us to even talk about persecution because it doesn't necessarily happen to us as strongly as maybe in other nations. Persecution simply means hostility, ill treatment, especially because of religious beliefs. 
I believe if we sat down together, we all went to lunch, and I, I began to ask you questions, I could draw out moments, maybe minor moments, maybe major moments, where you actually have been persecuted, but oftentimes we don't realize it's happening in the moment until after we get out of it and somebody brings it, oh, yeah, that was actually persecution. I hope today I can just give you a glimpse into what that looks like. When I was in school, I grew up uh, in a house that was very sheltered. We were very uh, blocked off to the world, if you will. I was actually homeschooled up until seventh grade. Any homeschoolers in the house? A couple people. I see you. You're my people. I don't often tell people I was homeschooled. <laughs> but, you know, I was homeschooled up until seventh grade. And, I mean, things like we weren't allowed to listen to secular music, whatever that means, you know, like in our house. We weren't allowed to watch Ninja Turtles. Like, I don't know what, I don't know what was going through my parents' head. We couldn't watch Ninja Turtles growing up. I was in a pastor's home, and so it was very, very strict in every way. But I tell you what I learned in that time. I actually, looking back, would never take back anything that I learned in that time. Because what I learned is a great, true, honest love for the Lord. Being even in seventh grade, it was obvious about me that I loved the Lord. So then you put this kind of kid who's very sheltered, who's just obnoxious about their faith, into public school for the first time. And I remember going to youth conferences, and they would get up and be like, you got to tell your whole school about Jesus. And I'm like, okay, here we go. I would get to school every day. I'd put my Bible on my desk. Every single class. I had pins all over my backpack that said, like, you know, Jesus loves you all this. I had a pick Jesus necklace. You know what I'm saying? Come on, just pick Jesus. I tried. The Pledge of Allegiance would go, this is embarrassing. I would shout, under God, as loud as I could, every day. It's terrible. I don't advise anybody to do that. I was so desperate for the Lord. I remember uh, every single lunch break, halfway through the lunch break, I would go outside into the courtyard with a couple of my close friends. We would grab hands and we'd pray for revival over our school. At one point, it was my senior year, there was actually 53 people that gathered in the courtyard, held hands, and prayed for revival in our school that year. I remember being so desperate to make a difference, inviting every single person to church. I was obnoxious. I was a blinder to people with Jesus. And it was one time in PE class, everybody had um, started to walk out of the gym. And these kind of football players hung behind, and they go, Alex, can we talk to you? And I was going, oh, man, here we go. I'm going to invite them to church. They're coming. It's going to be amazing. Everybody left the gym, and they circled around me, and they began to push me and mock me. Come on, Jesus boy, where's your God? They began to curse at me, make fun of me. I started instantly crying as I'm sitting there being pushed around by these guys, I found a way out, and I just sprinted away. I was still in my PE clothes, and I just ran from the school as fast as I could. This seems like a very extreme version that probably not a lot of us have actually faced in our lives of persecution. These people coming against me because of my religious beliefs, making a statement and trying to make me feel bad because of that. It might look very extreme, but I tell you, even in the most extreme sense of what I felt in that moment, I know it's nothing compared to what's happening around the world right now, where people are actually being killed for their faith. 
I know that persecution is alive and well all throughout the entire world, but I think sometimes it's disguised and we don't fully see it. See, we actually have to become more aware and be aware of what persecution can look like for us. Because persecution in the United States will probably never look like dying for our faith, I think we actually have to open up our eyes to see what it could look like. And if, I'm, if I can get really practical at the beginning of our message and just give you the four levels that I see of persecution, they would be emotional persecution, spiritual persecution, verbal persecution, and physical persecution. First of all, emotional. People not understanding. They don't get it. They, they don't understand how you could think that way or, or having different feelings about you. Another one is jealousy of your purpose. You're living a life on purpose. You know why you're alive. You wake up with meaning, and people get jealous of that. Another one is their past. They might have a bad taste in their mouth because of Christianity or things. There's emotional bullying that could take place. There's a lack of understanding. This idea of seeing is believing mentality across our culture. If you don't see it, you can't believe it. So they have a lack of understanding and they'll treat you wrong and they'll distance themselves from you. Attached to the label of weird or spiritual, we get this as believers. Your inconsistencies are others' inconsistencies. Not getting a promotion because of a spiritual stance. Not getting a job because of it. These are forms of emotional persecution. Even not giving time off for church. I tell you what, there are different levels to this thing. And I know that this is just the beginning stage, but I know for many of us, if we were to examine and look back, we'd go, man, there's so much of persecution I've actually experienced in my life. The next one is spiritual. They believe something else, a different religion. And so there's hatred, malice towards you because of that. They convince you that you don't know enough. I think this is one of the number one fears that rob every single believer is that we maybe don't know enough about God and so we're too scared to share our faith or we're scared if someone were to confront us on us so we're just going to hide back. Can I tell you, faith is enough. Believing in Jesus is enough. And even if you don't have all the answers, it's okay to say that. I don't have the answer to that question right now, but I know that I know that I know that I believe in Jesus and what he did. And so I'll find out the answers for you. That's okay. But oftentimes we're persecuted because of that. And even having a, a Pharisee mentality where people live in religion over relationship. And there's hatred that comes through that. There's verbal kind of persecution. People's outspoken disapproval. People's cursing or mocking. Gossip or slander. We've all experienced these things. The last one is physical. Bullied, beat, imprisoned, killed. So here we arrive at the eighth and ninth beatitude, where it says, you will be blessed by being persecuted for righteousness. Why? Why out of everything that Jesus starts with, he arrives at this place where he says, you will be blessed because of your persecution. Have you ever heard the expression, the proof is in the pudding? I had no idea what that meant until this week. This expression is used to say that the real worth, success, or effectiveness of something can only be determined by putting it to the test, by trying it or using it. Appearances and promises aside, just as the best test of a pudding is to eat it. Not a big pudding person. But this description 
nails it on the head of understanding. This isn't just about appearances or promises. It's actually being put to the test, being used, being experienced, so that we can tell if it's true, if it's good. Does this make sense? It can look good on the outside. You can have all the right words. But until it's actually tested, you'll never know if it's good. See, we can say we believe in God. We can say we love him. We can say we're willing to lay down our lives for him. But if it never gets tested, how will we know, how will others know, and how will God know if it's just appearances or promises or if it's really truth and reality? See, I think we often shy away from the testing ground because of the pain that we've experienced. But yet Jesus... And the last beatitude is calling us to lean into persecution to reveal our truth. This is a heavy message today. I hope you're with me today. I know it's heavy, but I promise God's got something amazing for you in the midst of this. I had a friend who told me once that uh, he had this girlfriend for the past like six months. And he goes, yeah, we never fight. We've never disagreed on anything. It's been amazing. The best relationship ever. And I'm like, good for you, bro. <laughs> and I go you know that's not going to last. And he's like, no, 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 you, you don't know us, man. We're different. We're different from every other person. And I begin to explain to him, like, actually disagreements are really healthy. This is a really important part of your marriage, of your relationship. Why? Because it actually leads you to grow together, to embrace one another's beliefs. It was a couple of months later I met with him. How are you guys doing? Yeah, we broke up. Why? She, uh, you know, she was suppressing all of these things, and we had a big fight, and it was over. They weren't willing to go in and test the ground. They were scared to, to enter into a new depth of a relationship, so they're like, no, it just looks good, and it sounds good, and it feels good as it is, but they were unwilling to grow, and the moment they, that, you know, the rubber hit the road, it didn't work for them. But I think that this is our call as believers, if I can say this, that I think that persecution really is our testing ground. It helps us to bring clarity to our why. See, something God has really been revealing to me in this series is how well everything comes together, how well everything is on purpose and coincides together. All of these beatitudes leads us somewhere, and they aren't on accident. Can I tell you today, let me break off for a second. God doesn't do things on accident. You are not an accident. God has a plan. He has a purpose. He has meaning for your life. And he's doing it on purpose. And even in the moments when bad things happen to us, can I tell you that God is like a great anchor. That in the midst of that storm, we're being pulled right back to him. We're learning along the way. And what the Bible says, he's using the good. He's using the good. He's not creating the good. He's using the good for his glory. It's not an accident. Everything that God does is on purpose. And I think this is going to be revealed to you right here. After studying this last week, I came to the conclusions that all of these beatitudes arrive at this word persecution for a reason. Let me read it one last time, this last beatitude. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. 
For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So get this. There's not only a promise for you in this, but also the history of others who have gone before you and done the same thing. He hasn't changed in the purpose of his beatitude and conclusion. Heroes of the faith, prophets before us, disciples, even Jesus himself went through persecution. Why? This is why. The eighth and ninth beatitude is different from others before. Because all the seven before are you choosing to do something yourself. And this is the first one that something's done to you. Are you with me, church? The beauty of it is we can welcome this thing in because of righteousness. See, persecution is a byproduct of the first seven Beatitudes. Everything has been leading up to this point. He says you do all of these things, right? He's called us to step out and live. We got the poor in spirit, people that mourn, meek, hunger and thirst for righteousness, merciful, pure in heart, peacemakers. When we walk in the righteousness of God, the right standing of God, persecution comes. He's called us to live that way. And see, when we're actually living out the supreme blessings of God, I believe we will see persecution. The proof is in the pudding. That it's not just words, it's not just promises, it's not just appearances, but in actuality, you are following the Lord and bringing heaven to earth. Persecute in the Greek language is written to pursue or follow in haste. So as we understand in the context of this scripture written, that it actually means blessed are those who are pursued, followed in haste, in persecution because of their righteousness. I love this visual. It's a challenging visual because it kind of looks like this idea that with expectation, if we're walking in alignment with what God had called us to do, the lives of righteousness he's called us to do, we should expect that there's a leash of persecution following us all our days. That's a scary reality. Like, I don't want that. I wish it was just easier as a walk in the park, like walk in the supreme blessedness. God is, God is offering you joy, happiness, fulfillment in this life. And yet he's saying that following hastily behind you when you walk in the righteousness we've been called to is persecution. That's a challenging thought. So I believe there are killers of persecution which we have to, walk, we have to watch out for. There are killers of them. There are things that come and try to steal us from experiencing the persecution we're promised to experience. Boils down to three main ideas. I'm going to quickly go through them. Unrighteousness, fear, and pride. Unrighteousness is not living in right standing. We're meant to live with God. Not living out the first seven Beatitudes. Number two is fear. Fear of being hurt. Fear of what people will say. We've all experienced that, I'm sure. And the last one is pride. How it will make us look. So we'll shy away from persecution. We'll shy away from being vocal about our faith, being outward about our decision to follow Jesus, or we'll live a life of unrighteousness. All of these things are coming and robbing us from living the persecution that God has called us to. The Bible calls us to overcome unrighteousness, fear, and pride, and to embrace persecution. So here's some scriptures about it. 
Matthew 5, 44 says, But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. 2 Corinthians 12, 10. That's why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness and insults and hardships and in persecutions and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. 1 Peter 4, 14. If you're insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. James 1, 12. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, having stood the test, and the person will receive a crown of life the Lord has promised to those who love him. I know this is a heavy message. I know maybe we're not leaving super encouraged today. But the reality that's put in front of us is that people before us, the heroes of the faith, all the things we're called to should be followed up by the evidence of persecution. Are you with me, church? I'm going to invite the band up as I conclude. This last week, or it was actually a week and a half ago, we got together for our city group, a bunch of us men. We got a crew of about 18 guys who kind of sporadically come to Spatty's Coffee up on the hill, and, and we'll get together, we'll read the Bible, we'll encourage one another, have some fellowship, pray for each other, drink some okay coffee, mediocre coffee. And then that's our day. We do it every Thursday, and it's been one of the most amazing, fruitful times of ministry I've ever been a part of. And it was, uh, it was probably six months ago this random guy walks into our group and sits at our table and starts having a, like a religious confrontational discussion with us. In the midst of us just, we're just trying to read some simple scriptures, like talk about it and then pray for each other and like pat each other on the back, like we got this, let's go. And this guy comes and asks some really uh, really some questions that I would say are far outside of the bounds of Scripture. And we would kind of kindly answer them and then kindly ignore him and just try to, like, push him aside. This happened three more times. And then it was a week and a half ago, this guy comes again and stands at the end of our table. And he goes, what are you guys reading today? And right when he said that, like, Kirby and I, like, look at each other like, oh, not again. And he stops and he goes, don't you think by now, after all of this time of reading your Bible, you should have the full understanding of the truth of God? And I was like, no. Like, I'm like, I'm, I don't know if I'll ever grasp who God is, the mystery of God. And then he rephrases, don't you think because you have the spirit of God living inside of you that you should fully understand everything, all the truth of God? And I was like, no, again, I promise you, I will never fully understand. And that's why we're doing this today. We're trying to learn. We're trying to grow. We're trying to support each other in faith. And I said, and I would just appreciate it if you, if you moved on. Right? I'm not going to put up with this. Paul talks about it. Don't waste your time with religious toil. This guy just is, you know, pushing questions. He has no idea what he's talking about. So he walks away from the table. I'm like, oh, thank God. Here we go. Let's read the Bible, guys, you know. And then uh, it was maybe two minutes later, his friend he was with comes up to me, right beside me, stands about a foot away from my face and begins to chew me out. He goes, if that were Jesus speaking the word of the Lord to you, would you have listened to him or would you have shut him down like you did? And I'm trying to respond, hey, you know, one, why are you asking that question? He's not Jesus, you know. I'm like, I'm trying to respond very calmly, composed. He begins to raise his voice louder. 
This is a week and a half ago, coffee shop. People all around us are just staring. I'm like, this is a terrible witness. But come to Grace City Tampa, all right? He begins to shout more and shout more and wouldn't let me answer the question. And so I stood up and then he gets six inches away from my face. I can feel his spit literally hitting my face. And he's shouting at me saying, if that were Jesus, would you have shut him down? Luckily, I got Kirby. <laughs> Kirby's tough, dude. This guy, he leads our men's ministry here. He comes in slides in between. He gets right up like three inches away from this guy's face. Don't come up here. You know what I mean? He's like, get up in this guy's face. Like, don't come up here saying that. Like, don't come attacking him. Don't come in this way. We're all shaken up. It was crazy. The other guy comes over and apologizes. The, the baristas come and ask the other guys to leave. They saw how crazy this whole environment was. We sit back down. And I'm like, all right, you guys ready to read the Bible? And everybody's like, no. <laughs> like, it was so intense. I've never been that close to somebody punching me in the face. I remember the guys saying how grateful they were. They called me afterwards. They said, you didn't raise your voice. You didn't get angry. You stood there. You preserved the word of God. You spoke truth. Luckily, I had Kirby to come get in the middle of us because I thought it was about to go down, you know. I say all that just to help us see that in moments where it feels so abrasive and it feels so confrontational, we can actually leave things like that going, we must be on the right track. We must be doing something right. And I'm not saying that, that it's this big conspiracy against us. I just know that we live in a corrupt, crazy world and there's a lot of brokenness. But I can sense that we're on the right track when we have moments of persecution like that. And a cool thing that happened this last week, I didn't get to be there, but the group went to First Watch downtown Tampa. They're like, maybe we'll take a week off of that coffee shop. And a guy walks up to Kirby and says, can I talk to you guys for a second? And they're all like terrified. <laughs> and then the guy goes, I used to do what you guys are all doing. I used to read the Bible like this in public settings. And he's like, me seeing you guys, I haven't done it in a long time. And basically like, you know, told them that he wants to get back into it and start reading the Bible. And Kirby gave him his number. And so hopefully we'll see him here at church at some point. But I tell you what, God is using every single bit of that for his glory. He has his hand on every single bit of it. And in the moments when it seems crazy, why is this happening to me? Can I tell you, we should be embracing it and understanding that God is using it. There's a couple supporters through persecution really fast. The people around you, knowing the truth, having a clear conscience and a fighting spirit. When you got the right people around you, you could come up against any bit of persecution that comes your way and say, we're standing arm in arm. Even if someone's right in your face, someone could come right in between you because you have people around you. Knowing the truth, even a simple understanding of the truth that's in front of you helps you to dissect when someone's coming against you and lying to you about what the Bible says. Having a clear conscience, choosing not to be abrasive in that moment, but choosing to be a person of Jesus. The Bible talks about if someone slaps you on the cheek, turn the other cheek. This is having a clear conscience. And the last one is a fighting spirit. Don't shy away from these things. Don't shy away from people coming at that. No, you gotta have some grit to you. You gotta stand up against the persecution that comes your way because the choices you're making to live a righteous life 
this is the thing that follows you. So encouraging today. I want to read 1 Peter 3, 8 through 22. I know it's a lot of scripture to get through. But it, it beautifully encapsulates in words this eighth beatitude. Finally, all of you, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing. Because to this you were called, you may inherit a blessing. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against all those who do evil. Who is going to harm you if you're eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats and do not be frightened. But in your hearts, revere the Lord always. Be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed for their slander. For it is better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. I don't think there could have been a better scripture. I wish we could have ended the Beatitudes with, now look at the blessing. Look at the favor. You're walking in righteousness. Now we've been talking about it for seven weeks. If you missed a week, go listen to the podcast. The challenges he gives in the first seven are followed up by the blessing. But now we've arrived at this great why in the road. If we're willing to walk down the path of righteousness and live a life for the Lord, just knowing what's going to come with it. We see it time and time again in the Word as examples. There's a guy named Noah who stood up against persecution and started building an ark when God told him to build an ark. He lived a life of righteousness and was persecuted because of it. There's a guy named Daniel. A decree went out, and it was told to everyone, you can't pray. What did he do? Opened up the windows and knelt in front of it and prayed and received persecution, was thrown into the lion's den where he was protected by God. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were told to bow down before an idol. In the sea of people, they stood amongst them all. And they walked in extreme persecution, were thrown into a fiery furnace where Jesus met them. John the Baptist, who went to his beheading because he preached the kingdom is near extreme persecution. Stephen, who was stoned to death because he brought the word before the Sanhedrin. And Paul was thrown into prison and severely flogged. I tell you what, you want to know the proof is in the pudding. Are you really following Jesus? Is this real? Is it just words? Is it just a promise? Or is your life exemplifying the righteousness that God has called you to? And are you experiencing persecution because of it? And every time that it happens, 
We should count it pure joy. And I wonder today, church, if a bunch of heroes in the faith in this room would stand up against this persecution and say, I'm willing, bring it on. Because you know what happens? We get this great spirit about us. Romans 8, 37 says, No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Can I tell you today, we got to get a more than conquerors type of spirit about us. We got to stand up against the things that come our way and say, No, you know what? I don't care how big, how strong the persecution, I will stand my ground. I am more than a conqueror through Christ who gives me strength. Can we believe that and say amen to that? Would you stand to your feet all across this room? This emotional persecution. We say, I am more than a conqueror. The spiritual persecution, I am more than a conqueror. The verbal persecution, I am more than a conqueror. The physical persecution, I'm more than a conqueror. See, when we walk in this authority and rejoice in and welcome these things in our lives, knowing that great is our reward in heaven. What does it say? Verse 12, the end of this section of the Beatitudes. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward. Everyone say reward in heaven. For in the same way they were persecuted the prophets who were before you. See, this word reward is the exact same word that's used in Revelation 22. Some of the very last words of the entire Bible. It's in red letters that Jesus spoke. He said, look, I am coming soon. My reward is with me. And I will give to each person according to what they have done. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. This is the promise before us. You walk in the righteousness God has. You outlive the Beatitudes. There's a great reward. And the thing that Jesus says to do is rejoice and be glad. What if we just had that spirit about us? Woke up every single day. I'm gonna rejoice. I'm gonna be glad. Yeah, the persecutions might come. The hardship might come. The trials might come. I'm gonna rejoice and be glad because great is the reward. God has amazing reward for each and every one of you. Can we lean into the persecution? <laughs> like nobody says yes. <laughs> Can we lean into the persecution? Understanding that it's the revealer of the righteous life we're called to live. If you'd bow your heads and close your eyes. I got two questions to ask. The first one, if there's anybody in here who hasn't given their life to Jesus. You hear me talking about that and you go, I haven't taken the first step to even follow after Jesus. I just wanna open the door to you right now. Maybe this is your very first time or maybe you know today, I've been walking away from the Lord and it's time for me to return to the Lord. I'm gonna to count to three. At the count of three, I just want you to give me a simple wave. This is just for you to acknowledge that you want Jesus to come into your life and it's the first step in this great journey ahead of you. One. Know that God loves you so much. He sent his one and only son to die on the cross for you that you might know eternal life and even life in this life. Two, the Bible says today is the day of salvation. You don't need to wait any longer. Right here, right now, get right with God. Three, if that's you, would you just raise your hand? Would you just raise your hand? I'm gonna wait a moment for you. I wanna give your life to Jesus. You wanna return to the Lord? Thank you, Lord. 
The next thing I just simply want to say, we've been on this eight-week journey for a while now, and uh, it hasn't been easy. I think there's a lot of confrontational things that have been spoken in the last eight weeks that we come up against as, I don't know if this is, if I'm ready to step into this, but I just want to invite you in the journey about living the Beatitudes, the blessed are those that he's called us to live. So if that's you, I pray it's every single hand in this room. I pray because this is what we're called to by Jesus. But if that's you, if you're ready to walk in the supreme blessedness, you're ready to live out the challenges that Christ has put in front of us that lead us to persecution, would you just raise both hands as an act of surrender? This is a moment you can surrender to God right here, right now. You're laying it all down for the Lord. Lord, you see every hand. You know every heart. You see all the trials in front of us. You know all the things that we've come through to this point. And Lord, I just pray right now that in the midst of outworking the blessed are those, the supreme blessings you have, Lord, I pray that every trial we come up against, we will stand firm, that we will live lives of righteousness every single step of the way, that we will make a difference, that we will hold on to the great reward that's sitting at the end. Help us to be more than conquerors through every single thing that comes our way. And Lord, I pray that we will rejoice and we will be glad as you have called us to in Jesus' name. Come on, let's sing this out. Thank you for listening to the Grace City Tampa podcast. Stay tuned for more weekly messages from our church.